Well, let's get started. Um, need you to take your outline out today. We even have cut the overhead lights on so you can see today as you take your notes. Because we have a record number of blanks. So if you get all the blanks today, you have set a record. I'd like you to take that out. Today's a very important lesson. I'd like you also to go to 1 Corinthians 9, where we'll study in just a moment. You see, most organizations are prone for mission drift, to forget why they were originally formed. That even happens to churches. And that's why we're spending the first two months of this year <clears throat> making sure our mission and vision is on straight. One of my favorite stories about this happened a few years ago in Atlanta. Charles Swindle's a famous preacher and writer, and uh, he'd gone to Atlanta to speak. He was off on a Sunday. So what you did back in those days, you wanted to go to church, you went to the Yellow Pages. So he goes to the Yellow Pages, and he's looking through all this list of churches. He comes across one that just piques his curiosity. It's called the Church of God Grill. He thinks, what in the world could that mean? So he actually just gets the number. He calls the people and says, you know, I'm in town, just curious about the name. How did you ever come up with the Church of God Grill? And the guy said, well, here's the truth. We started as a mission church down in downtown Atlanta about 10 years ago. And we didn't have enough money to support what we were doing, so we started selling fried chicken on the side. And before long, the church business wasn't going very well, but the fried chicken business was booming. And so we are now the Church of God Grill, all right? And guys, as we look today, we're looking at two torpedoes. We started last week, traditionalism and progressivism. Now, guys, we're not anti progress and I think you'll say today we're not anti-tradition the truth is if you put ISM at the end of any word it makes it bad okay and so today we're gonna go to progressivism now here's the problem the traditionalism the problem with progressivism is it really has no absolute truth truth is a moving target the problem with traditionalism is that often truth is found simply in tradition not necessarily in Scripture in, in progressivism, you end up actually with nothing to share. In traditionalism, you end up with a barrier to share. You see, progressivism will take away from the truth of the Bible. Traditionalism will actually add to it. And so today, we dive into traditionalism. Jesus dealt with this his whole ministry. One of the best stories about this is found in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is always... is driving the traditionalists crazy. He's about to heal on the Sabbath. He, he's coming. There's a man with a shriveled arm, and Jesus is about to heal. And the Pharisees say, what are you doing? You can't heal on the Sabbath? He said, how did they get there? Well, these guys were dead serious about keeping God's law. They knew the command of God was to keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so in order to make sure they didn't even come close to this, they, they built some fences around the Sabbath. And one of these was there could be no healing on the Sabbath. There were all kinds of fences. They weren't found in the Word of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with fences. But the problem was their fences had become authoritative. Uh, listen to what Jesus says to them about this. If any of you has a sheep and it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
Don't let your rules get in the way of serving people. You see, the Pharisees were willing for this man not to be healed because of their tradition. Our challenge today is are we willing for some people not to be saved because of our tradition? You see, what Jesus said about these Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 13, he says, here's your problem, guys. You've created so many laws and rules. You shut the door of the kingdom on people. And that's what we don't want to do. So let's talk about this. What is traditionalism? It's simply adhering to tradition as being authoritative. Now, let, let's say this real quickly. Tradition is not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. For instance, how many of you grew up going to church where every Sunday you could count on it? Three songs, a prayer, another song, communion, another song, the message, another song, and the closing prayer. How many of you ever grew up that way? Didn't we? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Now, there's nothing wrong with that tradition. It's just a tradition. For instance, let me give you a list of things we've done today. I want you in your mind think, is that Bible or tradition? Meeting in a church building. Having a song leader, or ten song leaders, four-part harmony, invitation, an invitation song, even video announcements. That's a new tradition, all right? That's everything I've just listed is a tradition, okay? Not made it right or wrong, it's just a tradition. You say, okay, buddy, when does tradition become a problem? Let me give you three points here. Please take notes. Number one, when it's elevated, is equal to Scripture. Jesus said to some people, Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, that were using their traditions for loopholes, you are worshiping in vain, teaching the very traditions of men. You see, guys, there's nothing wrong with that order we all grew up with. But there would be something wrong if you get upset when that order is changed. When you act like it's not a true biblical service unless you follow the order we came up with. Number two, tradition becomes a problem when it discourages the search of Scripture. We've always held up those Bereans who even question and search the Scriptures to see what the Apostle Paul was saying if it were true. You see, sometimes we get so ingrained in our traditions that we can't ask questions. We've all been a part of churches where in Bible class, certain questions were off limits. You were told just not to ask that. Because this is the way we've done it. This is the way we should always do it. I had a preacher friend in Pensacola. loved him to death. But he got set up with us at the Gateway Church because we were making some changes. He looked at me over lunch one day. He said, buddy, here's what we can say to our people. The same way we worshiped 20 years ago is the same way we worship today. And if they come in here 20 years later, it will be exactly the same. And I thought, you know, that sounds good. But what you're doing actually is locking into 1950 worship and saying it's got to stay the same no matter what. My friends, 1950 worship was not, not, not like 1900 worship. It certainly wasn't like 500 BC. It certainly wasn't like the first century. It was very different. And so what happens with most religious movements is when you have some glory days, you lock into that. And, and if we'll be honest, and some of you don't, don't come from Churches of Christ background today, so just bear with me. In Churches of Christ, our glory days were the 1950s and 60s. We were the fastest growing religious group in the country. And, and what happened because of that is we decided to lock into that style, despite the fact today we're shrinking, and go, that's the only way to do it. 
Number three, when it becomes a barrier to the mission. And that's what we're focusing on today. In Acts chapter 15, the church was going through an incredible transition. Would it be a, a Jewish institution was now beginning to reach out to Gentiles. And it was causing all kinds of problems. Because the Jewish believers believed that their traditions needed to be fulfilled by the Gentiles. For them to become the Christians, they had to do all the different ceremonial and holidays that were part of the Jewish tradition. And yet they saw that that was hindering the gospel. These Gentiles didn't understand that. And so Jesus' brother James said this in Acts 17, Acts 15. He said, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't add all these traditions on because it used to work, and now it keeps people away from the kingdom of God. Now, in America today, we have a perfect example, an extreme example of how this happens. Look at the following picture. Now, what's that a picture of? The Amish. I actually revere lots of things about the Amish. But what happened with the Amish is there was a certain point in the 19th century where they thought that everything that was being done at that moment was the only acceptable way to do things. And so after that period, all changes were viewed with suspicion. So here they are in 2020, still riding carriages and still acting like it's the 19th century. Now, there's a lot of things to respect about them. But here's what they've done. They've sacrificed the mission for that tradition. You look at younger generations today. That's not how they're going to come to the Lord through that. It would turn them off. And so I want you to look today at the philosophy of the Apostle Paul. Let me tighten this thing up, guys. I think I'll do that. Whoops. Not better. Try just a minute. There we go. Go to 1 Corinthians 9 now. And I want you to see... Paul's philosophy of reaching people, because it says everything I want to say today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Now, in context here, Paul is discussing freedoms he has. I could do this, I could do that. But what Paul is going to say is something we don't like to hear. I could limit my freedom, and I will limit my freedom, in order to reach people. Look at verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul, why, why do you do that? I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Guys, here's Paul's missionary philosophy. Whatever it takes, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach people except to compromise the gospel. I, I love what Zane shared with us earlier. Those are those things of first importance. You never compromise that. But Paul says when it comes to traditions and styles, I'm actually willing to change according to the group of people I'm with. If he's with Jewish people, he had given up his slavery to the law many years before this. 
But when he gets around them, if they're keeping certain traditions, certain holiday, he does it. Because he wants to get the gospel to them. Can you imagine the stretch this was for Paul with the Gentiles? Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And now he goes to these Gentile cultures that don't care anything about these traditions. And Paul says, so they got, can hear about Jesus, I'm going to drop it. And then even to the weak, I think those are people probably of low social status. Those are on the fringe of society. He said, you know what? They don't have to come to my upper middle class place to, to, for me to reach them. I'm going to go wherever I need to go. Now, let me give you an illustration of this I've seen in my life. It's about the, the use of alcohol, all right? Some of you who, who believe it's okay to drink alcohol would probably be willing to limit that freedom. For instance, if you were um, trying to reach someone for Christ that was an alcoholic and you took them out to dinner, I would hope that you would not drink any alcohol because that's not worth it. You're not, you're not willing to be that example. On the other hand, for those of us who don't drink, there may be situations where it would limit the gospel for me not to drink. For instance, I went to Ukraine years ago. The missionaries there cornered us and said, now, when you get invited to these Ukrainian families and you're trying to study the Bible with them and they're going to serve you a meal, if you turn down the wine they're offering you, you would offend them and they're never going to listen to you. I don't even like it, guys, but I'm willing to drink it, okay? Because the mission trumps my personal likes and dislikes. You see, guys, some things never change. And that's what Paul's fighting for. He doesn't want the things that must change to get in the way. Religious traditions, cultural differences. He doesn't want them to become barriers to the gospel. And if we're going to be effective, we must do the same. I love this story. After World War II, Japan was opened up to Christian missionaries. And, and, and we had lots of money back in the States. And so we're sending all these missionaries over there. We've got enough money to build church buildings everywhere. And then we notice nobody will come. And even if they do walk in, they'd walk straight out. You know what we finally figured out? The Japanese person would never believe you could worship God unless you were sitting on the floor. They would never sit and worship in pews. And they were offended that you would come in a place of worship and not take your shoes off. So what did our missionaries do? What any good missionary do? They ripped the pews off and they took the shoes off. Because that was more important than our traditions. And that's what Paul's saying. We've got to be willing to change. You know, the, the people who have the, the least trouble with change normally are people who are in the mission field because they understand it. So, Paul said, I'm willing to change these things, even some of my culture. In the Landmark Church, we've been willing through the years to get rid of some of our traditions. You, you probably don't recognize this, but, but years ago in this church, it was a requirement for women to wear dresses. Some of you are about to lose your soul right now. It was a, it was a requirement for women to wear and, and the intentions behind that were really good. But when that began to be a barrier, can you imagine that today, of leading people to Christ, the leadership was wise enough to say, we, we can't put this barrier up. We used to have Sunday night service. That was a great thing. Actually, there's parts of that I still really miss. But we finally figured out that just sort of duplicating, in a worse way, what we did on Sunday morning was not really transforming people. We decided we'd, we'd stop doing that so we could get people like they did in the Bible in homes where they could get deeper with each other and help mold each other. So we've been willing to change worship styles. The philosophy has been we'll do whatever it takes. 
I can remember in the midst of lots of those changes, one of our shepherds say to someone, said, well, are you willing to change this? He said this, there's two questions we're going to always ask. Is it scriptural? And number two, is it effective? And if it's scriptural and it's going to be effective in reaching lost people, nine times out of ten, we'll do it. So, tradition becomes a problem. One more point here. Number four, when we become more concerned with comfort than the mission. Because here's the sad truth of most churches. All you've got to do to stop anything different is say, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, we don't want to make you uncomfortable. Don't dare be uncomfortable. And if you're uncomfortable, we're shutting. My friends, please, please listen to me and all the love I've got. The issue is not my comfort or your comfort. The issue is the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Landmark's been, been through the years. If I need to be uncomfortable, I'll guarantee you, when Landmark made major changes 20 years ago, every person in our leadership was uncomfortable. But our elders said, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to do what it takes to reach people within the bounds of Scripture. And I'm telling you today, you and I must willing to be uncomfortable for the lost to be saved. What's ironic to me about this point is both progressivism and traditionalism ends up being governed more by feelings than by truth. So let me talk about this real straightforward. We in Churches of Christ have been very susceptible to traditionalism. Now I'm not trying to be down the Church of Christ. I owe my salvation to people who taught me in Churches of Christ. And um, here's what the way I'd put it. You ever had a strength that became a weakness? Uh, maybe you're a driven person, and man, you love to work, and you love to accomplish, and you get a lot done, and you get all kinds of promotion because of your drivenness. That's awesome. But that same strength, if you begin to neglect your marriage and your family, has become a weakness. I think I have a strength in, that I like to be liked by people. Now, I, I want you to like me. And um, that keeps me sometimes from being a jerk, all right? You may not agree with me there, but I, I hope it does. But let me tell you, that strength, if I let it control me, would be an absolute weakness last Sunday and this Sunday. Because when I think about the message I'm preaching today and the message I preached last, last week, faces come to my mind. And the last thing I want to do is hurt people. But even worse, I don't want to compromise truth. So in churches of Christ, because our great strengthness strength was we have a high view of scripture we're a group of people that said let's let go of all our traditions and let's be willing to look at the bible freshly let, let's actually try to look back and see what the church jesus dreamed about was about and let's let's try to be that church again today i think that's all good but that strength turned into a microscope that began to look for itty bitty things that weren't necessarily there and, and that desire to, to, to please God in everything often made us make laws of things God had not even talked about. And so the strength becomes a weakness. So in our movement, let me tell you why, at times this has been a weakness. And, and I'm not getting on us. Every religious group has a fight with traditionalism. Number one, every theological issue was given equal importance. When I was growing up, what I was taught was, whatever we were talking about, whether it was the virgin birth of Jesus, the atonement, the resurrection, clapping in church, or singing with a piano, it was all on the same level. 
It was all big deals. Not like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. Here's first importance. Not like what Jesus said. Some matters are weightier than others. Out of our desire to be correct, we decided we need to be correct on everything. And so what that happened was, the sad part of that good motive was it diminished the big things and it magnified the little things. We actually didn't talk about the big things much. We talked about the little things all the time. And number two, this, this fed to it, assurance was found in being right, not in grace. I was told by an elder of this church when I was youth minister years ago that you could be right about a hundred matters theologically, wrong about one, and you'd go to hell. Again, the motive behind that is we want to be right on everything, and who doesn't? But the problem is, when your salvation is based on going to the right church with the right name, doing the right things in the right order, then your, your assurance is based on your rightness. You know what I figured out the long argument? That's a flimsy place to be because I will never, and you will never, no matter how hard we try, you'll never be right about everything in life or doctrine. And what it did was it took us away from the grace of God that says, you know what, my salvation is based on what Jesus has done for me, not me getting it all right. And so what happened with these first two is it paralyzed our people with fear. Because if you add those things up, what I heard suddenly was anything different is wrong. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's just different. So number three, and this, this may be the most important part I make this morning. Convi we had a conviction that Scripture provided an exclusive pattern for everything we did as a church. You see, in this, in this great desire to be true to the Word of God, we, we, we begin to develop a pattern theology that says for everything we do, there, there's going to be a pattern there. And, you know, this led to a lot of really dangerous things. Let me, let me just give you an example. 1 Corinthians 16 is where Paul's talking about this collection that the Gentile churches are making for the Jewish churches. So he writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatians to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money. That's great instructions. But when you're looking for a pattern, when you cut the microscope up, what some of our people did was say, if we had a need on Wednesday night, you couldn't take any money up. And all money must go to the Lord's people. So if we know some problem out here in the community, we can't take that money out of the church treasury. Now you may think that sounds silly, but churches split like that all over the brotherhood. And then another tight reading was, when Paul talks about communion, he just talks about one cup. And so to have multiple cups like we did today is wrong. Again, where did that come from? It came from this seeking a pattern in reading pattern into things that God didn't always make a pattern. So we were pattern-centered instead of what I think Christ-centered. Guys, the only pattern we really have is Jesus. And that's what we look at. So this has led to a real challenge for us. Let me just give the challenge in two points here. Because what I'm saying today is not as easy as it sounds, okay? In fact, I love this passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. The apostle Peter is writing. 
And he's talking about the writings of the Apostle Paul. And he says, sometimes what Paul writes is confusing. Not even I understand it. So I'm thinking, guys, if Peter can be confused by certain sections of Scripture, I might be. But here's what we got to do then. Here's our challenge. Number one, we must distinguish spiritual truth from cultural practices or simply tradition. We already do that, whether you know it or not. Jesus commanded us to wash each other's feet. I've not seen that happen. We believe that was a cultural practice of humility. Women in the early church wore veils. We decided that was a tradition. It was a good tradition of showing submission and love to your husband and to God. But we think that was cultural, so we already do that. We've got to look at that. Number two, here's the, here's the challenge today. Determine when tradition becomes a barrier to the mission. Okay, again, we're not here to break every tradition. Lots of traditions are really good and healthy. My favorite part of our service many Sundays is the invitation period when we give an opportunity for people to be open, expressive, and to be prayed for. So, okay, now here's how I'm going to get on dangerous ground. Uh, I, like I hadn't been already. Okay, I, I want to give you my application of this. I'm not saying this is your application. I'm not saying you're about to agree with what I'm about to say. But this is how I've navigated some very difficult issues looking at progressivism and traditionalism, okay? Number one, sexual behavior. Progressivism would say to you that the, the, the teaching of Scripture is old-fashioned and, and that, that we don't have to go by the sexual prohibitions. What I believe the Bible teaches plainly is that sex is reserved for a man and a woman in marriage, period. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, here's the thing about it. There's never any waffling on that. There's never a question of that. There's never what I would call a breakout passage where something else looked good. That's just what it is. And I'm not willing to go down that progressive road and say, those things don't count anymore. I think I would have to reject Scripture. Number one. Number two would be um, the area of women's role. This is a tough one. I think we've got to dive through and go, which part of what we believe is truly eternal scripture and which part is tradition? Now, this is difficult because in one book, 1 Corinthians, Paul says in chapter 11, he tells about women praying and prophesying in church service and is okay with it. And by chapter 14, in an out-of-control charismatic service, he says the women need to be quiet. You've got a lot of stuff you've got to work with there. And on the women's role, despite the fact there are two limiting passages that appear, there are all kinds of breakout passages. In Old and New Testament, you have women fulfilling roles that if you believe our traditional stance, they wouldn't be doing. They're, they're judges in the Old Testament. They're praying and prophesying in church. They're prophets. And, and so here's what I've come to. Again, you don't have to agree with me. I can't buy the progressive stance that there's absolutely no difference between a man and a woman, that there's no difference in the home or the church. That's where progressive would lead you. There's no way in my mind that I can read through Scripture and go, there's just no difference. On the other hand, I believe that we have had some traditions that just aren't biblical that we've imposed on women. For instance, when the baskets were passed earlier, only men passed the baskets. That's just a tradition, guys. There are other areas where I see freedom in Scripture and women doing things that traditionally we've limited them where they really should have a role. So on that one, frankly, I'm, 
I'm no in-between. Can't buy, there's no differences. They can't buy the traditional interpretations we've made that have limited women way far more than Scripture. Issue number three, musical instruments in worship. You, you've probably noticed, if you're our guest today, that the Churches of Christ sing a cappella, that is, without instruments. And there's a great tradition of that. Actually, I love it. Actually, I prefer it. I, I, I like what, man, I, I could worship the way we worship the last 45 minutes the rest of my life and be as happy as anything, okay? But I, I think I've been honest enough to know is that we had to, to apply this pattern theology so tightly. Guys, listen to me. This may shock you. There is no example in the New Testament of a full worship service. There's no page you can turn to that goes, this, 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 this is what you do. So what we had to do in our pattern of theology is we had to look over here and find a little bit of preaching and a little praying and then, you know, mostly preaching. And then we, um, <laughs> that was the good part. And then we, you know, then, then we found, and, and the one thing I think is really solid you can't get around is communion was the center of their worship. But, but the singing part, we, we take verses that may not even be applied to the assembly and read things in there that's not there. And so musical instruments, in my book, and it doesn't have to be your book, it's a great tradition. But it's not a tradition I'm willing to uphold that would cause a barrier to people. So let's keep looking at this just a little bit longer. Let me tell you what, what really brought this to my mind this week. Daniel Nelson in here, he probably didn't want to come because he knew I was going to talk about him. Well, I was in my discipleship group this week, and we were talking about last week's message about progressivism and this week's lesson on traditionalism. And so I'm sort of going back and forth. They're going back and forth with me. And then Daniel said, buddy, I've got to tell you something I've observed. You are more uptight about talking about musical instruments than you were about talking about homosexuality. Now, guys, there's something wrong with that picture. There's something dead wrong about that. See, we've got to be willing to navigate those waters. Now, what I'm saying here today should not shock anybody. Every one of you has been through Landmark 101. In Landmark 101, we, we, we make it very plain what the big deals are and what's secondary, and we've always listed musical instruments as secondary best. I preached a sermon the elders asked me to preach in July the 16th, 2017, where we just laid out what we believed about it because we do practice it in different places, just not on Sunday. So let me boil this down to what's going on here. Your leadership, your elders, and your ministers are asking a question. Has our tradition of only practicing a cappella worship in our assemblies on Sunday become a barrier to the mission? That's a legitimate question. There's not a single one of your shepherds or your ministers who believes this is a salvation issue or a big issue. There's not a single one of us that really would not prefer to worship the rest of our lives a cappella. I can tell you that, including Jeremy Swindle. Can you believe that? <laughs> but if our tradition there is becoming a barrier to the mission, we're willing to be flexible. Now, I want to make some things clear. Number one, there's no thought of forcing instrumental service on anyone. There will, would always be options. Any discussion of this has always been simply an option. As one of our elders says, 
maybe we just need to offer another place at the table. Just like in our today's church, we have a different style of worship in 815 than 1045. Why? Because we know that each connects with different people, and we love that. And I want you to please understand this. We don't think instrumental music in worship is the end-all, be-all answer to every problem. It absolutely is not. It wouldn't solve every problem. It's not the end of the world. But we do believe in certain segments it's become a barrier. What are you talking about, buddy? Our younger generation, see these kids over here? They talked about my sermon last Sunday. They sent word to me. Is he going to be as honest about traditionalism as he was about progressivism? Did you say that? Thank you very much, okay? I hope I'm okay. You see, because they've grown up in a generation in a church that's never made that a big deal. That's never taught that that's sinful. And so they're growing up and going, you know what? We connect with Christian music. And we connect in a different way. And here's what's happening, guys. We all know this. I'm not saying anything new. We're losing some of our people. It worries me for my children and my grandchildren. Because when I hear from people who leave our fellowship, often because that's the way they connect in worship, is they really don't like compromising some of the core beliefs that we have about the power and place of baptism, about the centrality of communion in the middle of the service, but they've got this conflict. Some just stay, some leave. And then when we talk about reaching people who don't know Christ, in a generation that's completely musical, who comes to worship service, and again, my generation, the most important part was the sermon. We didn't really care how the singing was. It was a sermon. That was, that was the glory days. And now we, we, now we come to a point with a generation of people who don't know Christ. They have never besides maybe a one TV show, ever even heard of acapella music. And for some of them, that becomes a barrier to hear the rest of our message. You look around America, the churches that are exploding are churches that do this well. Even in the Fellowship of Churches of Christ, the largest and fastest growing church of Christ in our country offers both acapella and instrumental services. It's not that unusual anymore. Now, let me say this. I'm bringing up that question because I want you to, to wrestle with that with us. And I'm not saying today I've proven anything right or wrong about that. But here's what we are going to do. Over the next months, periodically, we are going to offer a month-long class on the subjects of musical instruments in worship. We'll, we'll offer it for a month multiple times and invite you, if what I'm saying today upsets you or you just want to know more about it, to come study the Bible. And let me tell you guys, my biggest disappointment in this whole thing will not be whether you agree with me or not. It's okay for us to disagree. My biggest disappointment would be if any of you walk away here and are not willing to sit down and study the scriptures about this matter. That would be disappointing. So let me say this. This sermon, I'm sure what you'll probably remember, seems focused on one issue. But the issue is much broader. The big issue that we're asking today is this question. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill God's mission? And that's not just about the minor issue we've talked about today. That's more like, are I going to change my priorities to reach lost people? Am I going to be disliked or even ridiculed at my workplace or my school to stand up for Jesus? 
Am I willing to be bold and invite people when they might reject me? Am I willing to change my priorities on my money and my time? And am I willing, not just in this service, but anywhere I go, to be uncomfortable for Jesus? That's the big question. And so today, I want to ask you a broader question. Have you lost your sense of mission? Are you willing to be uncomfortable for the mission? Are you willing to stretch for the mission in whatever area of life you need to stretch? And if somehow you've lost the mission and you're, you're playing it safe in every place in your life and you can't remember the last time you shared the gospel with someone, can we pray for you today? Or maybe you don't know Christ and, and what I've talked about today really doesn't make a lot of sense to you. I hope what you see through here is that we are committed to Scripture. And we are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, if you'd like to become a Christian, you could do that right now before you leave this place. I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul said this, I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. Now, I want you to help me here. I want you to repeat that, because that is the mantra of Scripture today. Say this after me. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. That's the big issue. If we could help you today, won't you come right now while we stand and pray?